Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Welcome to everyone tonight. If you are a guest, we welcome you. If you're not a guest, we welcome you. If you're joining us online somewhere, we welcome you tonight as a part of this service as well. Praise God. You can be seated. I'm going to start off with some comments and then we'll read some scriptures. If you could switch uh, iPad on, please. I want to continue tonight under the sort of the broad theme of authentic church. And I want to remind you the word authentic means conforming to an original so as to reproduce essential features. It's something that is made or done the same way as an original. I read to you last week from the book of Acts chapter 2 verses 42 through 47. It talked about the New Testament church and what they did. And as a result of what they did, the Lord added to the church daily. There were some fundamental elements and I uh, actually it is my hope that perhaps the Lord allows and we continue in this vein that at some point in the near future we'll be able to kind of dig deeper into um, some of those things. But I guess tonight, and I used these verses last week, but tonight I, wanna, I want to, to sort of go back to what is some of the foundation, at least what was some of the foundational things for those that were the leaders of the church, particularly the disciples, but even some others that were a part of the very beginning stages of the church. So Matthew chapter 16, beginning with verse number 24, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. You know what? They say a cat has nine lives, right? You and I have two lives. The one we save and the one we lose. You're going to save one. You're going to lose one. The choice I have is the order of those. I can choose to save my life now but eventually lose it. Or I can choose to lose it now, but in the end I will save it. For what is a man profited if he gain the whole world and lose his soul? I wonder if we really believe that. What is a man profited if he gain the whole world and lose his soul? Or, or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? It's pretty sad what some people have given their soul for. What they have exchanged their soul for. The Amplified says it this way, Then Jesus said to his disciples, 
If anyone desires to be my disciple, let him deny himself. Still a little bit of stubbornness working here. Let him deny himself, that is, disregard, lose sight of, and forget himself and his own interests. Disregard, lose sight of, and forget himself and his own interests. And take up his cross and follow me. Cleave steadfastly to me. Conform wholly to my example in living and, if need be, in dying also. For whoever is bent on saving his temporal life, his comfort and security here, shall lose it. That is, eternal life. And whosoever loses his comfort and security here, for my sake, shall find it. Life everlasting. Paul said it like this, We do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. Because the things which are seen are temporal. They are temporary. But the things that are not seen that Paul was referring to are eternal. I'm afraid, and, and as I said last week, I feel like that for the next little while on Thursday nights, for my part, this will be somewhat of the theme or the overarching theme. And I I am afraid we take verses like this and we just sort of breeze over them or we sort of just kind of check it off. Eh, I got that. When I think if there was a way of truly evaluating how much we live for what is seen rather than for what is unseen, I would venture to say that a good portion, I, I would like to say the majority, but I won't go that far, but I, I, I would venture to say that a good percentage of the problems or the struggles or the stuff people are dealing with here tonight are things that have no eternal value. Some of the things you are discouraged, depressed, despairing over in the light of eternity mean absolutely nothing. What's the problem? The problem is I'm looking at what is seen. Paul in those same in that same passage connected with those verses, he says our light affliction Now, remember some of the things Paul went through. Shipwreck. Imprisonment. They tried to stone him, left him for dead, but he wasn't dead. He he listed in one place all of the perils that he went through. And yet Paul says it is light affliction. How is it light affliction, Paul? The reason Paul said it was light affliction is because 
it is working for a more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. It's a really sad thing when God allows things in our lives to work for eternal purposes that we become bitter and resentful over and they potentially cost us our eternity. I I heard, I saw a couple names that I recognized that had posted this. I'm always curious when somebody addresses this topic. Most of you have heard my explanation for it. But uh, I like to hear others, and, and, and this, he was some kind of, apparently some kind of a professor, the gist I got of it. But it was a short clip of him addressing an extremely large audience, looked like a church setting. And he said, he was referring to when people come and ask him the question, why do bad things happen to good people? And I thought he had an amazing response. He said, my question is, why don't you ask how it is that after the sin you committed yesterday and the evil you've done, that a good God hasn't killed you? We always... We always want to ask why the bad things happen to us, but we never want to ask why did I not get what I really deserve? All of this stuff that God keeps us from, the problem is we don't know He kept us from it. I've got no Bible for this, but I, this is a theory that I have, okay? I, I believe that at some point in eternity, we're, we're gonna, there, there's gonna be like these, these video booths. And you can go, you can go check out a DVD of your life. Now hang on, I don't mean all the gory bad stuff. That's all under the blood. But I, 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 I kind of have this theory, or maybe more so the best way to say it is a hope. Because I am absolutely convinced There are so many things God does for us that we are completely unaware of. There are so many tragedies and accidents that God prevents, but because it didn't happen, we didn't know He prevented it from happening. I've told one that happened to me that I think fits this category. Several years ago now, I was coming up Joyce Lane coming up by the Methodist Church there on Church Road and, and, uh, right back near the school down the little elementary school down there, there was a, there was a young guy, looked like a teenager and he was sitting on a little motorbike, dirt bike, and he kind of was sitting there with his head down and, and it almost looked as though something might be wrong and, and I, I slowed down, I think I even kind of came to a stop just kind of looking and trying to, figure out if he was okay, and and uh, after a, probably just a few seconds, felt like a little bit more, but after a few seconds, he kind of lifted his head up and took off, and so I figured he was all right, and then as I, as at that point, as I started pulling up the church road, as as I was coming up, there was a car that went to turn on Joyce Lane to make the right turn, but was going too fast, and went all the way over into what the other side instead of just making a sharp turn, that if I would have been there 20 seconds earlier, I'm pretty confident I've got, I would have gotten a car in the side of my car. 
that what seemed like a coincidence, I, I really believe this. You, Brother Wright, you, you, you're being too dramatic. Okay, if that's what you want to believe. But I believe some of those traf- some of those red lights that I wasn't able to quite squeeze by, that I kind of think there's probably been a few of them that God made me get caught at that light because if I'd have made it through that light, I'd have been at the wrong place. Mm. For whoever is bent on saving his temporal life, his comfort and security here shall lose it, eternal life. And whosoever loses his life, his comfort and security here, for my sake shall find it life everlasting. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his life, this blessed life? In the kingdom of God, or what would a man give as an exchange for his blessed life in the kingdom of God? New Living Translation says it like this, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? I ask you, this faithful Thursday night committed group of people, is anything worth more than your soul? Is there a promotion? Is there an amount of money that you could make? Is there a dream job that you could have? Is there a spouse or a loved one that their desires is to keep you out of church and out of the kingdom? Is there anything worth more than your soul? Most of you answered a quick no to that. Is, are your grudges and your bitterness worth more than your soul? Are your pet peeves worth more than your soul? See, sometimes we, we kind of, you know, we, we look at the very trivial temporal things that I'd never give up my soul for that, but yet there are other things we hold on to that can cost us our soul. I, I, I really, uh, I don't know, most of this week I've, I was feeling led to come back to these verses tonight, but i got to be honest with you, I've battled all week long. Because if you focus on this verse and then, uh, in, in three of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in, in those three Gospels, the verses I started with are, are quoted in each one of those. What's interesting is Luke says it with one word difference than the other two. Because Luke says you are to take up your cross daily. 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 And follow him. And so I, I, I'm thinking, okay, 
Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciple, you've got to deny yourself. You've got to take up your cross and you've got to follow him. So, so my, my, my battle all week long as, you know what, God, I can't just teach that. I got to have more than that. I've got to have a carrot. How many of you, how many of you, now be honest now, don't, don't give me a sort of a, you know, a self-righteous kind of answer or something. I don't know. That's not the right term. But how many of you, you genuinely, the job you have, the work you do for a living, you just absolutely, thoroughly enjoy what you do. You love what you do. That's that's a decent percentage. I I got a little skepticism in my spirit that everybody's. I mean, there. Let, let, let's add this. There's no headaches. There's no issues. There's no fright. You just love it all. I think I may have lost a hand or two. Yeah. How, how about? I'm assuming those of you that did not raise your hand, you don't love what you do. You don't thoroughly enjoy what you do. Hopefully, hopefully you stay-at-home moms are just staying out of the category. <laughs> hopefully, you love what you do <laughs> some days, right? Let, let me ask you, so to those of you that don't love what you do, you don't thoroughly enjoy what you do, and to those of you that had your hand up at first, but when I got a little more specific, took it down, why do you do what you do? Hello? What? Paycheck. Money. How about those of you that love what you do? If there was no paycheck and money, would you just still freely give of yourself? No. Thankfully, you enjoy it, but... So so some of you... Anybody willing to acknowledge that most mornings you wake up to go to work and you just kind of dread it? Anybody? I mean, if you have a boss that's in the church, don't raise your hand. <laughs> I wasn't looking to see if any of the church staff members raised their hand. Maybe we, we ought to ask that again. You, you, you dread every day or most days going to work. But you do it. I'll read, these ver I'll read a verse that says this a little later. You do it. No, I won't. It's a different verse. You do it for the joy set before you. You endure. Right? Because there is a, there's a carrot. And so my question is, my question was, God, I can't just talk about denying yourself, taking up your cross and following you. There, we got to have something to be a motivator. And that right there, my friends, is the problem. The fact that I feel like I've got to have something to entice you is a problem. And if you feel like there needs to be something 
to entice me. There's a problem. I think part of it could be summarized or said in the way I, in what I said last week. Christianity has become about a consumerism mentality. You participate in a church as long as you like it, as long as it meets your needs, as long as nobody offends you, as long as nobody mistreats you, as long as the things you think should be going on are going on, and, and, and as long as what's preached is what you think should be preached. But the moment something's preached that you don't like or you don't agree with, you're finding another church because it's a consumer mentality. What kind of a sales pitch was it for Jesus to look at that crowd and say, if you're really going to follow me, deny yourself. Go back to what the, what the Amplified said with that. Deny yourself. Disregard, lose sight of, and forget himself and his own interests. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow. I think there are more than this, but just simply, it will be very obvious based on the verse that we started with. I want to talk to you a little bit tonight about these elements of discipleship. He said, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be my disciple, he gave three things there. There's other things other places, but he gave three things that would be elements of being a disciple. Self-denial, cross-carrying, and following him. I've got that part in there in case anybody wants to do a little more reading, a little more study. And Adam Clark says, with regard to let him deny himself, this may well be interpreted, let him deny or renounce himself fully in all respects perseveringly. It is a compounded word and the preposition abundantly increases the meaning. A follower of Christ will need to observe it in its utmost latitude of meaning in order to be happy here and glorious hereafter. A man's self is to him the prime cause of most of his miseries. <laughs> Read that again. Y'all y'all see that? A man's or woman's self is to him or her the prime cause of most of his miseries. Oh, hallelujah. Sunday night was a lot funner than this. A man or woman is to him or herself the prime cause of most of his miseries. Oh, no, that ain't, there ain't no, Mr. Clark had some good stuff, but he messed up on that one. Because I can tell you a bunch of people that are the source of my misery. And if all of those people would change, my misery would go away. You know what? I've actually been around a few people that they seem to be so sweet 
and kind that they got on my nerves. I, I mean, I don't mean to put on necessarily. I mean, there have been a few people that are just so sappy, sweet. That it's just kind of like fake. But I'm talking, they just, I mean, it really seems genuine. They just seem like the kindest, sweetest person. And they made me miserable. Because nobody should be that sweet. (laughs) Point is, it really is not about everybody else. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Mm. It really is about me. Because you know what? There are days, it don't matter what anybody says to me. It doesn't matter what anybody does. I'm good. And usually those days, the reason I'm good is because the connection is where it needs to be. My relationship with Him is in the, the proper position. My My submission to Him is in the proper place. And so, you know what? I'm not too miserable. So one more time. A man's self is to him the prime cause of most of his misery. And so Jesus says, let him deny. If you're going to follow me, you've got to deny yourself. Barnes note says this, that is, let him surrender to God his will, his affections, his body, and his soul. Let him not seek his own happiness as the supreme object, but be willing to renounce all and lay down his life also if required. Surrender, affections, body, soul, Paul says it this way, present your body a living sacrifice. I think this is part of what Moses experienced, Hebrews eleven twenty four. By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. I I, I remind you, if you've been around very long, at some point I've said this in the past, hopefully you've heard it, but especially to you young people, to a degree young adults, but I'd say especially you young people, if anybody ever tells you sin is not fun, they are a liar. There is nothing, there is no place in Scripture that teaches that sin is not fun. In fact, part of the big problem of sin is it's a lot of fun. So, instead of the word fun, or let me replace the word here, enjoy the fun of sin for a season. So Moses chose to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches 
than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. You know what Moses demonstrated in these verses in his life, these verses are saying that Moses decided to lose his life so that in the end he could save it. He chose to give it up, trusting that in the end he would give it back. I I know you know the story. There's probably not a person in here tonight that at least a couple years old that doesn't know the basics of this story. But but you know what? Moses really is, and this part of it to me is one of the most amazing parts of Moses' life. It's not, I mean, he did some amazing, other amazing things and very important things, very notable things. But this passage right here, I mean, you got to understand, here is a guy who was born as a slave but raised in the king's house. Should have been in bondage, but due to some circumstances, was able to live in the king's house, to live in the house of the masters and experience everything they had. And so when it, when the Bible says when he was come to years, that's probably somewhere around 40 years old, he had to face, he had to make a decision. Do I continue as a child, as a son, a grandson of Pharaoh? Or do I give that up to become a slave? What kind of choice is that? From a natural perspective, what is there to think about? You're gonna, you're gonna give all of this up? For for what? The Bible said he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. He had respect for what was coming. I, I think one of the biggest challenges of youth and even into, even into early adulthood is most of us make our decisions on the present. Shared this, I forget, I think it may have been a staff meeting or something recently. I shared this story, but you know, when, when Angie and I got married, I was going to college full time, working at the church part time. She was going to college and working and, uh, we, I mean, we didn't have no money. Knew we weren't going to have any money. My parents were in the process of building a new house, and out of the graciousness of their heart, decided to build a, a, an apartment as a part of their house. We came back from our honeymoon and stayed in the basement because the house wasn't done yet for a couple of weeks. You know, that, that, man, that makes you feel like a real man. Get married and come back to your bedroom. As a, you know, you feel like you, yeah, whatever. I, so... No money. We, 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 my parents were gracious enough to do that, and, and uh, they let us live in their house, this apartment, rent-free, didn't charge us anything. I mean, just... And uh, one, one night, we had gotten this invitation from some precious individual in the church to go visit this, uh, uh, this, this some kind of wholesale kind of a club-type place. But it, it wasn't like, you know, Sam's or Price Club or BJ. It was basically you went in and, and, it, and it wasn't even, it probably wasn't even a third the size of this auditorium. And it was mostly magazines and, and uh, for the most part, a lot of different ma- and magazines for catalogs. And, and uh, so you, you, you paid this price for membership and then you got all these good deals on everything. I mean, furniture, clothes, everything. I'm like, 
That sounds pretty good. So we, we forked out, I think it was almost $1,000. And you know what? I thought, man, this is pretty cool. I mean, let's not let's not worry about the fact that it don't matter how cheap it is. We don't have money to buy it. <laughs> Unless they're giving it away. <laughs> and, I, and I remember we came, we, we, we got back to the house that night. We were on our way up to our apartment and stopped by to tell my parents all kind of excited about what I'm like. You know what? You got, we, we even can, you know, provide you the opportunity. And they were just like. There was no excitement. There was no joy. I understand now why. I can't imagine what was going through their minds. As I sat and told them what we had done. Because it got caught, we got caught up in the moment. The pleasure in the moment. Rather than counting the cost. We'd be better off saving the thousand dollars and actually buying stuff than spending a thousand dollars and have no money to buy anything. That's a real good deal. But he denied himself. To deny yourself means this is what I want. This is what I would like. But I'm going to put myself aside. Oh, hallelujah. I know this does not fit well with the motivational preaching and teaching of 2017. You're going to follow me. You've got to deny yourself. The second thing he said you've got to do is take up your cross. When persons were condemned to be crucified, a part of the sentence was that they should carry the cross on which they were to die to the place of execution. Thus Christ carried His until He fainted from fatigue and exhaustion. The cross was usually composed of two rough beams of wood united in the form of, that, of this figure of a cross. It was, instrumental. it was an instrument of death. To carry it was burdensome, was disgraceful, was trying to the feelings, was an addition to the punishment. So to carry the cross is a figurative expression denoting that we must endure whatever is burdensome or is trying or is considered disgraceful in following Christ. It consists simply in doing our duty. Let the people of the world think of it or speak of it as they may. It does not consist in making trouble for ourselves or doing things merely to be opposed. It is doing just what is required of us in the Scriptures. Let it produce whatever shame, disgrace, or pain it may. This, every follower of Jesus is required to do. And again, Luke says we are to do it daily. Daily. There, there is a routine that I have in the morning when it comes to getting dressed. There are certain things that I do in certain orders. In a certain order. I don't even think about it. 
every now and then I get a little, something makes me get a little bit out of my routine. The other day was one of those days I was a little bit out of my routine. I had my toothbrush in this hand and I grabbed the shaving cream in that hand. It's amazing how many things you do at the start of your day that you don't even think about. And, and sorry, I don't have all my boxes. Man, I, last week was enjoyable because I got all kinds of compliments on all the visual aids. So, try to do more. I do still have this. It, it, it's not a, it's not a daily decision to be stressed about and worked through. It's not a matter of getting up in the morning and deciding, you know, today it would be a little easier to just make it through my day without my cross. Luke says, daily. I don't, I don't wake up every day and decide, you know what, I, I wonder if I want to be married today or not. I think, I, I think I'll just take a break today from being married. I'll just, you know what, I'm just going to go out and have a little fun. Enjoy life a little bit. See if I can find me a, a lady somewhere, lady friend. Just going just gonna to leave my ring. You know what, part of the problem, especially in the summertime, I don't have to have my ring on. I get too far in the summer and I have a white band around my finger. Isn't it, isn't it amazing? I mean, how many, let me see, all the wives, raise your hand for a second. Let's identify the wives. Identify the wives. All right. How many of you wives would be okay if your husband woke up in the morning and said, listen, I want you to know that I really love you. I mean, I, I, can't even, I can't even put into words the depth of my love for you. You mean so much to me. I wouldn't trade you for silver or gold. Roses are red, violets are blue. Baby, I love you. I wasn't a poet. Still ain't one, won't be. But listen, for today, I, you know what, yesterday I was, I, was, I was at the office and this lady kind of passed by and, you know, she just caught my eye a little bit and I'm just going to, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go out to dinner tonight, so, now you know I love you. You know, I, I mean, I care about you. No, there's no doubt, no question about, but, but I might be late getting home tonight. In fact, I might, I might not get home tonight. I, I, I can hear it right now. Click, click. Okay. That's what you want to do. That, that is so, that sounds so absolutely stupid. 
Some of you were willing to sort of think about it for a moment, but you kind of, uh, I, I heard you. <laughs> yeah, 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 uh-uh, uh-uh. Not in a million years. And if it was the reverse, my wife said that to me. I'll be back tomorrow. I'll be back on Sunday. I'll be back Thursday, but you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I'm just going to take a little break from you, baby. How well would that go over? Hello? Come on, don't, don't get too lost in my stupid analogy to miss where I'm going or not be willing to go there with me. That's absolutely ridiculous, and yet... We have a tendency to wake up and decide, you know what? Today, Jesus, I think I'm just going to do it without you today. Ben, you know what? I carried you around for, I carried my cross for a little while, but I just, I need a break. You know I need a break, Lord. He said, if you're going to follow me, be my disciple, you got to deny yourself. Put your feelings, your, your desires to the side. Take up your cross daily. Here's, here's, here's a part of, you know, this is another problem in 2017, man. All right, you know what? I'm going to do the right thing. But you know what? If I'm going to do the right thing, I need to at least let the world know. So we get on our, we get on our social media. Carrying my cross today. Well, it, it's amazing me what people, man, they got, you know, feeding the homeless today. Well, you just got your reward. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Notice, notice, what, notice what Barnes says. It's not about making trouble for yourself. It's not about causing problems. But it's about doing what is required. Esther chapter 4 verse 10. Did you have a little heart attack there? You were probably right in the middle of doing something you shouldn't have done when I called your name too, weren't you? Esther 4 and 10, and again, Esther spake unto Hatak and gave him commandment unto Mordecai, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces do know that whatsoever, that whosoever, whether men, man or woman, shall come unto the king in the inner court who is not called, there is one law of his to put him to death, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter that he may live. But I have not been called to come in unto the king these 30 days. And they told Mordecai Esther's words. So Mordecai commanded this to be sent, told to Esther. Think not thyself. Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then, then, their enlargement and deliverance, then shall 
their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed, and who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Mordecai was saying, it's not a question of whether or not God's going to deliver His people. The only question is, who is God going to use to do it? And so Esther is counting the cost that I have not been invited to come before the king. And if I come before the king uninvited, it could cost me my life. And so that's when Mordecai responds and says, Deliverance will come. And could it be that he's brought you to the kingdom for such a time as this? And I think what happened next was Esther went and picked up her cross. Because she changed her response from then forward. And decided, I may have to care, I may have to suffer. It may not be easy. I may have to go through some heartache, and it might eventually cost me my life, but I'm willing to take that risk. Do you know what? I've touched on it in different ways. I mentioned it last Thursday night, and and, and again, there are days in which I go through. I'm sure some of it's the devil. Some days I probably help him, and he doesn't have to do anything, but this battle in my own mind, Knowing, I try not to pay too much attention to it, but knowing a lot of the ideas and concepts and philosophies that are going on in religion and Christianity today. Do I keep preaching what I believe the Bible said? Do I, do I keep preaching and teaching about a cross? Do I keep preaching and teaching about dedication and commitment and that it's more than just one time a Sunday that's going to get you to heaven? But I decide that like Mordecai, I said, there's going to be a people of God. And there's going to be an end time outpouring of the Holy Ghost. And if I have to take the risk for a while to carry my cross, while a lot of other people are trying to live without it, I'm going to continue to carry it because I know what he said. If you're going to be my disciple... You can come sit in the crowd. You can come sit in the multitude. You might even come hungry and get some fish and bread. But if you're going to be my disciple, you've got to take up your cross and follow me. That third part, as simple as it is, he said to his, as he was calling his disciples, He saith unto them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I'm sure there's probably more verses I could have come up with for this and more things to communicate, but I think part of the significance of this is if we'll all be real honest, at some point, not saying it always happens and not saying it's permanent, but at some point, he's going to lead you someplace you don't want to go. At some point, the path that he has you on is going in a direction that is not 
your preference. And you've got to make up your mind and do like the old song says, Where He leads me, I will follow. Where He leads me, I will follow. Where He leads me, I will follow. I'll go with Him, with Him, all the way, all the way, all the way. Young man came to Jesus and said, what what do I have to do to get eternal life? Keep the commandments. Got that, done that. Jesus lifted a few of them listed a few of them, and he responded to those and says, I'm good on those. And then he turns to him and he says this, Go sell everything you have. Come. Get, or sell it all, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. And the Bible says he went away sorrowful because he had too much stuff. There was something he was trying to save, and in the end, he lost. Jesus said it this way, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added You can pursue the things, and you might actually attain some things. But if you're pursuing them, if that's the goal, it's going to cost you a lot to get it. When you put the kingdom first, and you seek Him first, He said, I will add the things. I close with actually what is, I think, a little bit of a carrot. Romans 8:16 The spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. I think I cut something out there. There's something missing. Somebody help me. Somebody somebody pull it up quick on a phone or turn your bible. Aha, you're all counting on me, aren't you? No Bibles, no devices. Somebody help me. Romans 8, 16. What's it say? Something's missing, I think. Quote it. Help me, somebody, read it. The whole start was beginning. The Spirit itself. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit. That we are the children of God. And if children. And if children. Then heirs. Then heirs. of God. Heirs of God. And joint heirs. And joint heirs. With Christ. With Christ. If so be that we suffer Aha. with Him. I see what I've done. Okay, now i got you. All right. Thank you. So the Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Ignore that next line. 
If children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him. Here's the carrot. We may be glorified that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. That if I will deny myself, take up my cross and follow Him, the bottom line really is that there is an outcome that is so far above the price that I pay. But if you notice, I've used the verses tonight, and there's even other verses. If you read through the Gospels, you find that a lot of times all Jesus did was kind of focus on the price. Because you know what? It's a lot easier. It's a lot easier to be willing to pay the price when you're pretty confident of what you're getting. I mean, there's not a person here, I don't think, that if you had the money to do so, would walk down and would walk into some uh, car dealership and sit down at somebody's desk and say, listen, I got a $25,000 check, just give me something. Just, just, just give me anything. I, here's, here's the check. Absolutely not. Let me see it. Let me kick some tires. Let me take it for a test drive. And then after all that, let me see how much I can talk you down. And Jesus says, if you're going to be my disciple, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Okay, well, that's, a, that's the price. What am I going to get? And he rarely tells us what he's going to give us or what we're going to get to just try to entice us. The benefit that you and I have is we have a Bible with which we can read the end of the story and see how that time and time again, those that were willing to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow Him. I have to believe, it would seem to me, since He was a human being, that when, that when Moses had come to the point of his decision, that even though he made the right decision, I have to believe that as a human being, there were some days that he second-guessed what he did. <laughs> when he's now off in the wilderness, hiding because of killing a he, an Egyptian, he had to have thought at least a time or two, man, I, I, maybe I should have just left everything alone and stayed where I was. But I got a feeling, it probably happened maybe before this, but I got a feeling at least when he stood there at the banks of the Red Sea and held up that staff, and all of a sudden, those waters in front of him began to part. And then an entire nation 
began to walk through on dry ground. I have to believe at that moment he probably thought, you know what? The recompense, the reward was worth what I gave up. And I wonder tonight how many things God has planned and in store for individuals here tonight that He hasn't told you and He's not going to tell you. That as of right now, the only thing He's going to tell you is deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Bow your heads, if you would, please. Father, I thank you tonight. I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you for the testimonies that have been shared tonight of things you have done over the last few days. And I believe that we're only seeing the beginning of what you're going to do. God, I also believe that what you're ultimately going to trust, the things you're going to do, are those you're going to ultimately trust, the things you're going to do with. It's not just people that profess Christianity. It's not people that just happen to show up to church once a week or once every now and then, but it's going to be people that have been willing to deny themselves, to take up their cross and to follow you. I pray tonight, Father, that you would help every one of us that You would help us to be able to look beyond the present, look beyond the moment, look beyond the pleasure that is offered to us, but pleasure that is only for a season. That if we would be willing, as Moses did, to esteem the reproach of Christ to be greater than the riches that Egypt has, that in the end, you will prove that the reward is well worth whatever was given up, whatever was laid aside, whatever was, was sacrificed for your cause, for the sake of your kingdom. Help us tonight. God, I believe, I believe, I feel in my spirit that you are calling us as a congregation to a deeper level of commitment, of discipleship, that while we all sit here tonight as committed Christians, that there's more that you're desiring from us. But the reason you're desiring more from us is because there's so much more that you want to do through us. Help us tonight, God. Help us to learn to do what Paul said, to not look at what we see that is temporal, but to get our eyes on what is unseen, but that is also eternal. In the name of Jesus Christ, in Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. God bless you. Thank you again for being here tonight. I pray that the rest of your week is blessed in Jesus' name.